So we're going to continue this morning in uh, Worship Through the Word, and we're going to wrap up this morning, by the grace of God, the series in Ecclesiastes. We've been talking about this for a few uh, weeks now. Um, by the way, in a couple of weeks, uh, April 1st is Easter. One more thing to say, next Sunday, we spring forward, I hear. So next Sunday, everything, we lose an hour of sleep. Is that how that works? Yes. All right. So uh, be thinking about that as well. And... Uh, Continue this morning in the Word. April 1st had nothing to do with next Sunday. April 1st is Easter, right? So I would encourage you to be praying for folks in your life. Man, Easter is an awesome time to celebrate the, the, the profound reality of the gospel of Jesus, which is different than any gospel. And, I, and I'm afraid most people misunderstand the gospel of Jesus. So it's a, upon us, the church, to proclaim it rightly this time of year right? So uh, may we proclaim the gospel of Jesus. But if you want to invite folks to join us for worship, that'd be awesome on Easter Sunday. There'll be a Good Friday service happening in the community. There'll be an Easter sunrise service happening that day as well with other churches we partner with. So I uh, would love to have you guys involved with that. But be praying at the very least for folks in your life that maybe need, need right, to know the truth of a God who loves them and is graceful beyond measure and merciful beyond counting and ready to just, you know, give those uh, embracing hugs of redemption and salvation. So, man, just be praying for people in your life in that way. We're going to pray again. We always do. We can get in God's word about what God would have us today, each of us, where we are. He is a, the only teacher. The only teacher is the Lord. And so we need him to teach us. So we're going to pray together that he would do that work. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the awesome morning of worship so far and the opportunity we've had to be together as your people and to encourage and, and just welcome one another here. God, the world just throws things out so fast and we maybe come with a whole bunch of baggage and maybe a bunch of distractions. Heck, maybe we don't even want to be here today. Maybe somebody dragged us here and we just wish we were somewhere else. Father, I pray that... Uh, in your grace and through your timing, your perfect timing, that we would be willing to hear your great love for us. Father, we would not reject you, but we would receive you. May you be glorified. Uh, we believe, we proclaim as a body that you are the one true God, that there's no other God before you, that all, all, everything in the world is subservient to you. Every person in this world is subservient to you as we sang. Um, before your throne. May you be glorified. I pray that today that the words you would have for us would be spoken that we could understand and believe and live differently because of our encounter with you through your word. You promised us that it never, never returns void. We believe that. We've experienced that, Father. So would you uh, bless us today through the power of your Holy Spirit and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so I told you, so last week in Ecclesiastes, I've been encouraging you every week to maybe read Ecclesiastes. Okay, maybe every other week I've encouraged you to read Ecclesiastes. And for a few times I was saying to you, like, it takes you maybe an hour to read Ecclesiastes. It'll take you maybe an hour and a half tops to read Ecclesiastes. It's an Old Testament book. It's a book of wisdom literature, right? So you can read it in that way. It's a narrative written, or it's a, a narrative, yeah, written by uh, King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. But here's what I did. I got nerdy about it because I was like, I was listening to it. I told you last week, I listened to the word, right? And so I was listening to the word again this week. And I'm like, I'm going to add up the time it takes to listen to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I wanted to tell you this morning that was wrong. It doesn't take an hour or an hour and a half. I can't even believe this myself, right? And I wrote it down. It takes 32 minutes and 24 seconds to listen to the entire book. And why would I say that to you? We all often will say, well, I don't have time to read scripture. I don't, I don't, I, I just, I, my life is so busy and chaotic, I don't have time. That's like, you know, half of a reality TV show, right? That's like a, a half an hour of programming. That, that's like, what, six YouTube videos. <laughs> six. You know the recommend list, right? It's 32 minutes. It's amazing. It's amazing that you can... You can really read and, and, and you go, well, I can't go that fast. Yeah, but just listen. Let, let the word soak. Um, it's been such a blessing to do it. I'm just telling you that testimonially. It's been a blessing for me to do that. And uh, I would encourage you to take that 32 minutes, 24 seconds, and read the book. Even though we're finishing the day, you go, well, we did it. And we will. We have read the entire book together as a church family. I still want to encourage you to read it, to pray, to think, to let the word, to let the questions come and the, and the difficulties that may come, come. But listen to what the word of God says. 
Don't take people's word for it, you know? And, and one thing I want to say too, don't reject Jesus because what you've heard people say that you don't agree with. Read the Bible and then decide what you believe to be true. We've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been building toward different things. It's been fascinating to see kind of the constructs, the way they've been, because it's, kind of, it's a book of wisdom, so it's kind of complicated. But I wanted to pull out some things that I feel like Solomon's laying out because someone said, this book is, you know, kind of depressing. It's kind of hopeless. It starts and ends the same way, right? Meaningless, meaningless. All life is meaningless, says the teacher. But here's the, here's the funny thing. He, Solomon is building a case for the futility of life if life is all there is. He calls it life under the sun. If life is all there is, it is a futile effort. That's the truth. But here's some things that he actually says, builds this kind of, I would say, a doctrine of sovereignty through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is fascinating to see. He said that God, at the beginning, has set particular things in order. He says it this way, who can straighten what God made crooked? That's the question he asks at the beginning and the end of the book. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? He's made things a particular way. He encouraged us to enjoy our labor and, our, our, and the, the lot in life, he calls it, that we have on the earth. Enjoy your life, is his call. He calls us to fear God. As a matter of fact, he says that God does things a certain way so that you and I might fear him. You wonder, why is it that way? So that you might be an awe of God, that you might fear him, respect him, honor him. He said that you should enjoy your prosperity. That's something we don't often hear, right? If you're doing well, enjoy that you're doing well. But if you're struggling, know that God made the good times as well as the bad. He's not absent. Indeed, he's with us in our deepest struggles. He says that no one can know our future. What? <laughs> How many of you just want to know what's next? Like, I'm always that way. God, just show me next. Show me in five years, ten years, and then tomorrow will be awesome. Let me know what's coming. But Solomon in the book of Wisdom says, no one can know anything about their future. That's a pretty clarifying statement to make. He says that no one, none of us, can extend our lives. Think about the New Year resolutions, fitness, all that stuff, right? He says, you can't extend your life by a day. Like, well, if I quit smoking and quit drinking, you know, maybe I'll live longer. Yeah, maybe, but have you extended your life? Or has that always been God's design for you? Ultimately, the last day is in God's hands, which is where he's going with this whole narrative. He says this, no one will know when their hour will come. That's where we ended last week. In chapter 9, no one will know when their hour will come. He said it will snatch upon you like a, a what do you say, a snare to the, a bird, right? Like just, bam, caught in a trap. You're going to be so not ready. Hopefully you'll be ready for the hour. And it says your hour. All right, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope you get your eyes on it this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the chair row in the end. Um, we're going to read from the text. You're going to want to have a Bible today. Ecclesiastes 10, page 466, if you use one of our Bibles. Okay. And what I was just reading from, if you're wondering, we're going to back up a little bit before chapter 10 to, ver to chapter 9. And I just read that. As a fish are caught in the cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so are men trapped by evil times that they fall unexpectedly upon them. It says in verse 12, Moreover, no one knows when, what? His hour will come. <laughs> by the way, he didn't mean no one will know when the hour will come. We won't know that either, right? Jesus taught that. But you won't know when your hour will come. This is where he's building toward. We were talking about last week about the idea that um, to be in a, a funeral parlor is better than being at a party. I was struck that, by that this week because I got to go. I got to go to a funeral parlor. Like I wasn't looking forward to that. I didn't think it was on my agenda for the week, but it was. And as I was standing there, I couldn't help but hear the words of Ecclesiastes ringing in my ear. This is a good place for my heart. This is a good place for me to think about life. And I was stunned as I went through the line to meet the family. It was a huge family. I went through the line to meet all the family and stuff, and I got to the grieving bride. 
I don't know if you have a sense of the importance of conversations you're having. Many times you go to a funeral, you don't know the main, like I knew a family member, I didn't know the entire family, and so you go through the line, you're making that kind of awkward, I mean, because you don't know what, there's nothing you can say, you don't know the relationships there, you're kind of asking how are you related, they ask who you are, you explain your relationship to the family. And we got to the bride who was grieving after a long marriage, and it, and it felt so personal, and I, we didn't know her, and we were talking with her, and I kept hearing the words of Ecclesiastes ringing in my ear, and I could sense her grief, but you know what blew me away? What she said to me, because Chris and I were there together, she looked after we talked and we said, we've been praying for you and your whole family, we have been, we, we, we're, we're thinking of you, we'll continue to pray for you the, the days to come, and she said, I want you to take her out to dinner tonight. The grieving widow. Huh. Wisdom at a funeral. What, 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 why was that about? I'm like, how, how? I'm like, yeah, I probably will. And I think I heard her saying what Solomon said. Enjoy your days because you don't know when the hour will come. Go have a nice meal. I just want to share it with you because it's real life. Like, we read the Bible and we go, oh, it's not, it's not relevant, man. It's real life. She wasn't saying it and some, she meant it. It was very sincere. Take her out to a nice dinner tonight. Treasure your life and your relationships and the people that you have. So as we get into Ecclesiastes 10, here's the question. Solomon makes the case that all the toil is meaningless so if all the toil under the sun is meaningless, then what does it matter in the end? And that's what we're going to get today, to the end of matters. Picking up immediately, verse 13 of chapter 9. I also saw under the sun an example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. This is the second story Solomon told about a man, right? Not himself, his own, but a man external to himself. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against the city, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against the city. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. And so I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded he just and that's the end of that story he just leaves it hanging out there just thought there's a city where there's a great enemy coming against it and there's a man who's poor but wise there and he saves the city is what the word says but then his wisdom is forgotten and you, you know what the concept of a forgotten wisdom of a poor person would be or a rich I mean, just a person the city is not saved. The city is not saved would be the inverse of this story. And so Solomon concludes this. He says, wisdom is better than strength. Would you rather have a strong man on your side or a wise man on your side? Would you rather have a strong woman on your side or a wise woman on your side? And Solomon says, wisdom beats strength every time. That's going to be a theme he moves through chapter 10. So wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. The salvation that came to the city is lost. The quiet words of the wise are to be more heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And I, I, I was just thinking about, I've said to you before, what you look toward is what you become, right? The things that we think about ourselves. Get a long-term vision for your life. Get a long-term vision for your marriage. Get a long-term vision for your parenting. Hey, get a long-term vision for your Christianity, right? I mean, think about the end of things, not the now of things. Begin to look toward where you want to be so that when the day comes, you might be there, that's the goal. And he says that wisdom, the quiet words of a wise are more to be heeded. I've thought often about people that I've found to be wise, that I've found to be a blessing, and I can just remember that 
these men and women who have influenced me so much were not the loudest people in the room. Heck, they weren't even the pastor of the church, right? They were people who I deeply respect who have a tendency to look at the big picture and to think long term. And indeed, they had about them a grace of mercy and of, of um, God's favor that comes, I think, from a right positioning of ourselves before him. This wisdom is, is better than the weapons of war. But, he says, a sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10. So as a fly gives perfume a bad smell, so does a little foolishness outweigh wisdom and honor. We can screw it up in a minute, right? That's the truth of our lives, isn't it? You can make a thousand wise decisions and then one stupid one and screw a bunch of stuff up. Sin undoes a whole bunch of wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, the heart of the fool to the left. I just think that means there's division in road. You know, I think it's interesting that right and left, I don't know why that is, but to the, to the proper direction, to the wrong direction. And even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense, and he shows everyone how stupid he is. <laughs> I think that's particularly harsh <laughs> to find out in the Bible. <laughs> I want you to hear that again. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is, <laughs> right? What was the saying by Abraham Lincoln? Um, better to keep your mouth shut and thought to be a fool than open your mouth and prove it to be right. <laughs> you don't know what, just don't say anything. You'll, you'll come off as more wise. And then he gives this advice about serving a ruler, or, or a boss or whatever, right? A ruler, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. This is awesome. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. Calmness can lay a great error to rest. He's like, stand your ground. What does it sound like? Don't be afraid. Much like the words, right, of a fool. Don't feel like you have to say anything. Have you ever seen that work? Someone's done something wrong and they're just getting the riot act read to them? Maybe it's you. <laughs> Maybe it's in your house or you're at work or, you know, it was you when you're in school. And there's a tendency you want to talk back or say something. Solomon's advice is just keep your mouth shut and stand your ground because it will diffuse a lot of very uh, angry um, feelings, right? You can diffuse a lot. Do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. Does that make sense? You think about it, when you're trying to explain to someone why something is wrong or why you felt hurt or wronged or whatever, there's usually no words you need to hear from that person that's, that's, that's going to make that make sense more to you than just letting you say that if you're on that side of things. And when you're hearing it, it's hard. Just stand your ground. It sounds like this. Don't fear men. What can they do to you? Don't be afraid. Instead, stand. Verse 5, he goes on. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sword of error that rises from a ruler. Now, he's talking about people who are in charge, right? This is the brokenness of any system where someone is in charge of another person. This is an evil he sees. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, white while princes go on foot like slaves. Isn't that an interesting observation to make? He's the most powerful guy in the land. He's the wisest guy in the land. He's the richest guy in the land. And he's probably put a lot of people in power. And he says, I've seen an egregious evil. Fools being promoted while wise people are neglected. What's he say? He says, slaves on horseback while princes walk on foot as if slaves. This is model that we begin to see about an upside-down kingdom. <laughs> Things are not as they should be. He's been lamenting it most of the book. Things are not as they should be. People who should not be elevated are elevated. People who, who should be elevated are, are downtrodden. And he recognizes it 
as a leader amongst his people in his search for wisdom. Whoever digs a pit might fall into that pit. Whoever breaks through a wall might be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarrels, uh, quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits wall, logs may be endangered by them. The things that we choose to pursue can, have, can be dangerous to us, right? It's, it's, it's a dangerous thing to be the first one through a door, the first one through a gate. Sometimes we call it courage. Sometimes. When somebody has to go and it has to be breached. But a lot of times you might call it foolishness. Why not run through the door? What could possibly go wrong? And then we find out. I think there's so many things in our lives that we just drink in without examination. What's the worst that could happen? Early adopters. People living on the edge. And then you know what we do. We celebrate the successes and then the people who fail or, or we start to see cultural harm or life-destroying manifestations, we ignore that. We elevate those that are successful. Give us more wisdom here. If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. And then this is a great little quote here. If a snake bites you before it's charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. That's a mistake you make once, I guess, <laughs> right? I guess the people who are snake charmers on the streets, you see those? They're the ones that survived. <laughs> You don't want to be apprenticing that job, do you? There's nothing to be gained. Listen, there's, there's a theme here. There's nothing to be gained if you're chasing something with such, you know, uh, blinders on and such a focus that it destroys your life. That's what he's saying. If you never receive the profit from your work, you've, you've not succeeded. If you don't live to see the day, no matter what people say, you've not succeeded. Verse 12, words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool, here it is again, is consumed by his own lips. His own foolishness destroys him. At the beginning, his words are folly, and at the end, they are wicked madness, and the fool is multiplying words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell what will happen after him? That's, the, and again, that point that he raises over and over. No one knows what's coming. A fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. Woe to you, O land, whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at the proper time. Listen to it. For strength and not for drunkenness. It's like there's a proper time and place for things, right? Why would it be wrong that princes would feast in the morning? Because nothing's been done, <laughs> you know? There's the argument you made, like, you got to get up and do your work every day. And they're princes. They inherit things, right? You almost wonder again about Solomon's own life where he inherited a kingdom from his father. And then he was going to pass it on to his son, and he was seeing these egregious evils. But he says, blessed is a land where, listen, the king is of noble birth. A true king whose princes eat at the proper time. Hear the word, right? For strength and not for drunkenness. I can't read that without seeing allusions to the king, Jesus to see allusions to his rule and to see the call for us to eat for strength and not for drunkenness, to eat at the proper times and to do the work. Verse 18, he goes on, if a man is lazy, the rafters sag, and if his hands are idle, the house leaks. We've seen that to be true, haven't we, in our lives? A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. I bet you're surprised to hear that in the Bible. Someone said in our family group last week, money isn't the answer to everything. I'm like, we're not there yet. Because <laughs> that's what it says. But money is the answer for everything. And I'm like, what? 
So, what are you, Solomon, what are you talking about? Everything has a season. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry. But money is the answer. It is true, isn't it, that it solves a lot of problems. I told you a story about being homeless but not homeless because we had money in our pocket, right? That's the experience of almost everyone in this room, I would bet. As much as you feel broke and put upon and struggling and check to check, whatever, the truth is you have some ability to get yourself out of trouble because you have some income or some disposable money. It does make a difference. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts. Do not curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird on the air, a bird of the air may carry your words and the bird on the wing may report what you say. Huh. <laughs> Twitter? Have you seen that little phenomenon? Twitter? Was it 140 characters, 160 characters, whatever it is these days? You send out that, who's going to see that? And all of a sudden, people see it. Oh, wait, no. You delete it, but it's out there. Somebody already got it. Then it becomes more scandalous. They already deleted it from their Twitter feed, but here's what it said. Here's a screenshot. We captured it. Our internal thoughts, man, and we put them out there for the world, right? It says, don't revile your king. Don't revile your king. It may be carried off. They might hear what you say, report what you say. And, and you know, that's a whole funny thing there, right? <sighs> Isn't it crazy that we have more concern, listen to me, for the things that we would say about our opinions about whatever. We have more concern about other people than we do about God. What we would confess about God in our lives. We say those words as if no one's listening. But we worry, oh, don't say that on my boss. He might fire me. Say something, you know, obscene or heretical. What is the word I'm looking for here? Blasphemous against God, and we all chuckle as if no one's listening. He says, don't do it. Don't whisper those thoughts. Verse, uh, chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again, right? Give portions to seven, indeed to eight, because you will not know, you do not know what disaster will come upon your land. He's like, kind of diversify your life. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's an appropriate analogy there, because you don't know what's going to happen to one of your baskets. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where it falls, that's where it lays. That seems pretty straightforward. Whoever watches the wind will never plant. Whoever looks to the clouds will never reap, right? We get sore about predicting. We don't do what we can do right now. This is like a call to work, call to be diligent, call to plant. Don't try to be the weatherman. Just put the seed in the ground and see what happens. As you don't know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, listen to the word, so you cannot understand the work of God who made everything He's saying there's ultimately a beyond us what's going to ultimately come to be true or not. He's making a case to be faithful before God for everything that we're doing in this life. And I will say to you, it's worth pointing out here, he says that as you don't know the path of the winds, we don't know which way the wind's blowing from and going, and then we got the maps that show it, but then we're like, oh, it all changed direction on us, right? Just like we don't fully understand that, it says we don't fully understand how a body is formed or made in the mother's womb knit together i know we think we do because we've seen those pictures now right 4d wherever they are we watched the the video on like nat geo or whatever you know we think we know everything about how it works but we don't we're only observing as god is doing it and it's worth saying that he links this idea of how the body is formed to the handiwork of God. That's worth noting here. He says, as much of a mystery as what's going to come next, you don't know God's ways, you don't know how a baby is formed in a mother's womb, how God is giving life. Man, I, I, as an aside, Thursday at Relevant Banquet, right? Such a big deal because the world needs to hear a celebration of life, right? 
I hope you in your life, when someone says, I'm pregnant, hope your kind of Christian goes, praise God, not oh no. Why would that matter? Why would it matter how we respond to someone's pregnancy, expected or not? You know it's easy when someone's been trying, trying, I'm pregnant. You go, oh, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. You know it's, it's easy whenever someone's, you know, married and, you know, oh, man, I'm so excited for you. But what about when our response is, oh, no, oh, dear, versus praise God? Why is that an issue? Because the word says that he's the maker of all things. It might be a surprise to you. It might be a surprise to mama. It ain't a surprise to God. And so, you know what we say? The Christian response, the biblical response, praise God. Not, oh, no. Praise God. Verse 6, sow your seed in the morning and in the evening. Don't let your hands be idle because you do not know which one will succeed. He's like, be diligent. Whether this or that, whether both will do equally well, just keep working, keep going, keep planting, keep striving. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many, however many uh, years a man may live, let him enjoy his life. But let him remember the days of darkness because there will be many days of darkness. Everything to come in this life is ultimately meaningless. Everything to come is meaningless. And I told you he was writing this to, ultimately, we said this right, youth. <laughs> this is a book written by a wise king to young people. Be happy, young man, while you're young. And let your heart give you the joy in days of your youth. Right? Like, we get intrinsically that there's a vigor, a zest, a foolishness of youth. We all go through those seasons of life. This last week I was going somewhere and I was telling my bride, I said, this is a young man's game. <laughs> I'm of the age, I'm starting to feel that, <laughs> you know. And up to just a few years ago, I was still deceived to think I wasn't. I was, you know, I still a young man's game. This is a young man's game. But enjoy that vigor. Enjoy that passion. Enjoy the, the desires that God has given in your heart. Live your life to the fullest. And that's a good word. Matter of fact, isn't it funny when we do like graduations coming up, you know, we do these, and every year the baccalaureate, every year the graduation, it's always like soar for the mountains, fly with the eagles, you know. That's always the, the vernacular, you know. We can do anything. No one can stop us now. Then life happens. <laughs> I'm not picking on you, right? But that's what happens. And you just start to trip and fall and bloody your nose. And you're like, oh, this sucks. And you you know, what's next? And you're lost in your 20s, you know? Just tell the whole truth. Enjoy the days of your youth, man. God gave you life. But there are dark days coming. Be ready. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. How many times do you say that to a young person? Man, the decisions you make now will follow you the rest of your life. Is it hopeless? No, absolutely not. Do we all screw up? Yes, absolutely. Remember Solomon said, I can't find anyone who's righteous, right? But does it change everything? Yes. The things we do in our youth affect us for the rest of our lives. It says God will bring all these things under judgment, right? So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body because youth and vigor are ultimately meaningless. It's a season of life. We all get to experience it, but it doesn't have ultimate value. It's a limiting thing. There's something greater to pursue. Here we go, wrapping up. Chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. I want to stop because this next bit's, you know, poetry we're going to get into, but he's like, enjoy your life, young people. Like, yes, all that stuff. Like, we can't be stopped. Yeah, but life's going to happen to you too. You're just next generation to think it won't yet. <laughs> it will. It does, right? 
But enjoy it, but know that there's an accounting coming for it. Don't, don't, okay, so <laughs> YOLO. True. But it doesn't mean do things you would, like, that you're going to regret later. <laughs> See, YOLO can lead to absolute foolishness. Instead, have a vision for the future. No, what's the word say? Remember your creator, young people. In the days of your youth, listen, I told you that ridiculous, miraculous story about God's involvement in making you and your mama. Eh, awkward conversation, but true. Remember that God who knew you before you were. Remember that God in your youth. That's right, you're the one that gave me life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before your days of trouble come. This is his advice. What has he said throughout the book? Respect God. Fear God. Recognize the reality. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. And don't think this life is meaningful in and of itself. It's foolishness. It's madness. Before the dark days of trouble come, remember the Creator in the days of your youth and say... And then you will say, he says, in the future then, in the years to come, you will say this. I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light, before the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim while the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of danger in the street. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go out in the street. Poetry. Do you hear it, though? Remember your creator in the days of your youth, because the days are coming when things stop working, right? And if you've, you read that, you're like, what in the world is it talking about? You know, when the light goes out, whenever the keepers of the house tremble. But then, if, and he says, you know, there's wisdom in the house of mourning. You know, and you get around and you start watching people at funerals and people who are aging. Or maybe you, you have a grandparent or you have someone, you look at their life, you should watch and recognize what's coming for us, right? And he's like, there's this kind of fading of ability. The strength of men is sapped. I mean mankind, not men and women, right? The strength of women is sapped. It just draws to a close, so many things, and then it gets down here where it says um, the, the almond tree blossoms, right? It, it's, it's ready, but it can do nothing, and, and, and the grasshopper drags himself along. There's no longer desire stirred. It's just it's the beginning of the end. It's coming. That's coming. For all of our strength and vigor and all of the passions of our youth, ultimately it's coming that we will... Um, begin to fade even in this life but then he says this at that time a person goes to his eternal home there's something more to think about I've had some people say you know I was reading Solomon man what if, what if Solomon's right there is no God I haven't heard it one time in this book not one time has he said there's no God that's us putting that in the book he says this life is meaningless he says, at the end, you're going to go to an eternal home. The man goes to the eternal home, and the mourners go out in the streets. There's a separation of experience, right? In that moment, you transition over. I told you earlier, some of the greatest people that, that have been so influential to me that I've, I've looked at in awe and wonder are gone. I've stood by their graves, and I've looked, and I've thought deeply. They've gone to an eternal home and I wander in the streets mourning. 
there's something that they know is next. There's something that they understand that this life is more. There's something even that they understand. And it's my absolute favorite thing. Don't assume, man. Don't assume because people are a certain stage of life, they don't get you or whatever. Because they remember, the friends that I have remember what it was like to be young and full of vigor. It's not lost on them. You just don't get me, man. You're different. You're old. You're old. <laughs> no, they get you. They know there's something more. They've lived long enough to realize there's something else worth living for. Listen to the word. Verse 6. Remember him who, your creator, before the silver cord, silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel is broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Think. Time is coming. Accountability is coming. We get caught up in life and we're like, I'll do anything for this job. I'll do anything for this promotion. I'll do anything for whatever it is that we're pursuing this life because we think it's ultimately valuable. And he's like, no, 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 listen. Quick, before the silver cord is severed, before this divine connection is broken, before this opportunity of this life to turn and remember your creator, quick, hurry up and listen to the truth. Don't be so self-deluded. And listen to me. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, man. Because I can be just as self-deluded as anybody in the room. Quick. Listen. Remember your creator. Turn to God before the silver cord. I love that. You remember about halfway through the book, he was talking about how sad it is, how sad it is for a man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Remember that? It's sad to be alone, right? You better have a partner in life to do life with. It's such a blessing to have that. You know, but then he throws in that line, but a cord of three is not easily broken. I can't help but remember it now when he says, don't let the silver cord be severed. Quickly, before the silver cord is severed, remember your creator. Who is the third man? Who is the third person in our life? Who is the person who can help us up when we fall? He said, well, my, my parents can. For a while, my spouse can. Yeah, maybe. My, my friends can, Sure. The silver cord, man. The golden bowl. This divine opportunity we have to be acknowledging God before him, to live our lives, man. And it's so goofy because we think if we live our lives in that way where we fear God, life is less, but it's not less, it's more. You know, you think, well, if I do that, I can't party no more. No, you can still party. You're just partying with Jesus. Like, it's different, you know? Like, it's not life, eh, okay. It's life to the fullest, right? That's what we're called to. Remember your creator who gave you life before the time is up. And the spirit returns to the God who gave the spirit. Listen now. And the dust returns to the ground that it came from. That's in the life right there. I can tell you one thing I'm convinced of. I've been to a, a few funerals now. Before I was a pastor, I went to two funerals my whole life. And I've been to quite a few now that I've been a pastor. And not, not officiated a whole bunch, honestly, but I officiated some. I can tell you this. And I would encourage you to go. If you're one of those people that avoids funerals, I just encourage you to go to a funeral. Just take a deep breath, stand your ground, and observe, right? Whatever I was drawn to in that person, whatever light was in their eyes, whatever, whatever heart I felt of love, whatever connection I have, had with that person, whenever, at, when that moment comes, it's gone. They're gone. It's hard for us sometimes to sort that out. We go, well, this, the body's right there. It's just the body. It's dust. But the spirit, the light, the love, the joy, the, the brain, like the mind, the, the things, the, the thoughts, the treasures, the legacy, the relationship, it's not here anymore. No? They've gone to the eternal home. Listen. The connection is divine. Life is divine. Please don't think it's just about the flesh. 
Don't be a fool. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. He ends it the same way. I told you, like bookends. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. This is verse 9. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. You remember he, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Um, Solomon did. He also wrote the next book, Song of Solomon, which is a, a story of love and marriage relationships. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. We talked about this early on. And they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. That's the testimony of this entire book of wisdom and indeed the entire Bible. It's, it's goads. It's the thing that pokes you to move on, move on. Don't get complacent. Don't get bored. Don't get distracted. Focus up, right? It pokes you. And it's also nails, things you can hang on your door. You can count on it. You can put it up there for good like you can just, you can stick it on the wall. It's going to be permanent. It's wisdom. It's from God. And look, it says, and all of these things are given by one shepherd. There's one teacher. There's one master. There's one Lord. As a matter of fact, Solomon said something that's crazy. He said, he said, even people who pursue wisdom can't ultimately grasp all the wisdom. Why? Because it's beyond them. Because it's God's wisdom from the one teacher, the one shepherd. Twelve, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to his teachings. Of making many books, there's no end. But such study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Because God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it has been good or evil. Right? In the end, there is accountability. And, and that, that's where we fall from this whole thing too, right? Ultimately, fear God and obey his commands, right? There's ultimately um, judgment coming. Listen, including every hidden thing done, where it says, whether that thing was good or evil, there's judgment coming. So fear God and keep his commands. And then I go, oh boy, I'm in trouble, <laughs> Fear God and keep his commands. I, I forget God all the time. Fear God and keep his commands. I'm disobedient all the time, you know? I know it. Like, you don't have to tell me I'm disobedient. I know I'm disobedient. Fear God and keep his commands. Well, judgment's coming. Remember God the creator. What, how can we do this? And then the truth of the gospel, listen to me, of Jesus Christ washes over the testament, right? The truth of the gospel of Jesus is that he died for our sins. Huh? We're set free in his name. Listen to me. He's the wise king. He's the prince of noble birth. He's the poor wise man in the city. He's the one whose teaching is despised. He's the one who paid the price. And you say, yeah, I get it. The cross of Jesus, it's all about mercy. It's all about grace, sure. Confess your sins and you'll be forgiven. His blood's washed away your sins. I get it. It's so easy. It's not easy at all. I was listening to someone talking about the cross of Jesus. I just want to share this with you close. This is my final thought on this. The cross of Christ is only grace and mercy from where we sit as sinners who are rightly condemned, as unholy men and women who are not righteous at all. For us, it's grace and it's mercy and it showers down on us. But there's another view of the cross that we don't often think about. And Easter is coming. And it's the view of the cross from above where Jesus was nailed on it, a righteous man under judgment of God. There's coming a day of judgment. The gospel of Jesus says that in the moment... God was pouring out his wrath on his son. You think it's all grace and mercy. Then why does Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does he say at the end? It is finished. The judgment that's coming. Solomon says it. Get ready. Judgment's coming. The good news of Jesus is, if he has endured the wrath of God for us, then we are saved in him. And every secret thing is paid for.
and every hidden thing that you go, oh God, if they found out about that, I'd never be forgiven. That's a lie because Jesus died for it. He knows the things. And the king that we've confessed against, the righteous one, the sovereign one who made us in life, who's the author of our spirit, he calls us home. That's the gospel. He died for us. And we could do nothing for ourselves. And indeed, listen, he faced the absolute judgment of God. What do you do in your life? Chase after the world. Man, I kind of hate that we're in here because it's beautiful out there, right? But just, it's awesome, isn't it, life? The world, beautiful. Enjoy it, but don't forget your creator. Don't forget the God who loves you, the God who sent us on to die. I'm gonna pray for us just that we'd have an awakening in that. Close your eyes if you would. Bow your heads if you want to and just go before God together. Father God, for the grace and mercy you've demonstrated to us through the cross, we give you thanks and praise. For the wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes we've gotten to hear and to experience, to read, that's been preserved for us by your spirit that we get to know. Father God, for you, the teacher who calls us in here, even maybe dragging us here today, a place we don't want to be, we might hear the truth that there's judgment coming. Father, that we would know the truth of judgment coming. That we'd be ready, ready for the day. Father God, that you would be glorified in that. And God, that we would stop, you know, being uh, weak Christians, stop being kind of pandering, like um, simpletons, that we would say, no, there's absolute justice and absolute mercy in your cross. There's absolute judgment and absolute forgiveness in your cross, and we would know that truth, that we would tremble, that we would be in fear for those who don't know Jesus and salvation, who are, who are going to face the wrath of God with no shelter or shield, with no protector. Father God, we only know because we've been preserved. Would you do your work? Father God, would you draw us near to yourself? And not by our holy words and not by man's wisdom, but by your Holy Spirit's power. If there are people here today that need to repent and believe good news, I pray for, in the name of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would come to repentance, to know forgiveness. That they would believe the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And indeed, Father, the prayer that goes out from the psalm is in our heart that all nations would bow to the one king, not to us, to you, and not to our truth, but your gospel. Help us to be the first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.